Well, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 119 in the Bible that you've brought with you. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. While you're finding your way there, just a reminder, if baptism is on your mind, or maybe on the mind of someone in your family, maybe you're a parent and you've got a child that's interested in baptism, um, shoot me a message. Let me know that that's on your mind, and we'll get together and talk about that. And uh, we're going to have a baptism service um, before too long here this summer, and would love to include you in that if you... um, would like to be baptized in Jesus' name. If you're just joining us, we have begun a study, our summer study on sexual purity. We noticed together last Sunday how this author of Psalm 119 asks a question that was meaningful to them a few thousand years ago, and it's still meaningful to us. That's Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? And we spent last Sunday talking about that question. Why we should be interested in getting an answer to that question. And today we get to start observing the answer. Today we actually get to start noticing, okay, how does it happen? Is there actually any real help here for me? If I'm trying to make progress in that area... Can I come to the scriptures and find practical help in this area of my life? And what we find here, as we look through this little eight-verse segment, verses 9 through 16, it all holds together as one segment. And what we find is that within this little section, there are five discernible strands in the answer. There isn't just one thing to focus on. We don't come here and and look at our question, how can a young man keep his way pure? We don't walk away just focusing on one thing. There isn't one answer. There are five strands of the answer. Five strands that make up a, a cord. And if we want to know how do we keep our way pure, there are these five different things to look at. And we have to hold them together, okay? Now, um, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. One of the strands, one part of the answer is resolve. That's what we find when we get to verses 15 and 16. We find out that resolve is one of the things we have to be concerned about. But we also find, when we look at verse 10, that dependence is one of the things that we have to focus on. Not just resolve, but also dependence. See, in this matter of trying to make progress in the area of sexual purity, if we only have resolve, it doesn't hold. We need something else. We also need dependence. And we need other things as well. There are five separate strands to look at. We have to hold them all together. All five form one answer. It's a multi-stranded answer. And over the next few Sundays, we're going to look at one strand each Sunday. And today, we begin with a strand that I'm calling our posture. 
Or we could also call it our heart attitude as we approach this subject. The posture that we take towards this subject is crucial. There are some wrong postures that we can take. Postures that will set us up for trouble. And the text points us to some right postures to take. Postures that will be helpful. And so today, we're just going to do those two things. We're going to talk about the wrong postures to take, and then we're going to notice the right postures that are commended to us by this text, okay? Just those two things. We're going to notice the wrong, we're going to talk about the right, and how do we adopt the right and put those into practice in our lives, all right? I'm going to read the whole section again, verses 9 through 16. It's not a long section. It all holds together as one unit. Let's stand, shall we, for the reading of the word, and then we'll get into it. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Father, I I pray for myself and for the group that's gathered here this morning to give attention to the word that you have spoken through the psalmist. Father, please don't let this be just a going through the motions. We need real help. We believe that we've come to the right place for help, for purity, for life. And I pray that you would use this time to grow and prosper individuals and families and churches, all for Jesus' sake, the pure one. We love him and we pray in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. In the area of sexual purity, there, at least, there are at least three postures that we want to avoid. There's probably more than three. I'm only going to take the time to name three. I've given them names. There's nothing special about these names. There's nothing technical about them. They just help us to get the idea, okay? So hopefully these will do for today as we first of all talk about postures to be avoided, And the first posture that we want to avoid in this subject of sexual purity is that of the trophy Christian. We don't want to be a trophy Christian. One of the things that can happen and happen very easily when we're energized to pursue sexual purity is that it can become for us a reason to say, hey, look at me. Look how pure I have become. And look how much better I'm doing than all these other people out there. Y'all are failing and and I'm doing great. That can happen so easily. Now, we don't say those words out loud. We just think them in our hearts. Purity, like any other virtue, 
can become an occasion for boasting and elevating ourselves above other people in our hearts because we're doing better than they are. So they're bad and we're good. Have you thought about this? What, what if you actually have some success in this area? What if you're doing great? And some of you are doing great. For some, this is not in the top ten of your concerns in the Christian life. Well, maybe it is in the top ten of your concerns. Maybe it's in the top five. Maybe it's number one. What if you start doing really well? What if you begin to see growth and improvement? Because all of the grace that God is pouring into your life to help you make progress and mature, how are you going to handle that success? What will that do to your soul and your view of yourself and of others? Well, we know what we don't want it to do. We don't want it to become an occasion for pride. We don't want to hop from the sin of lust into the sin of pride. C.S. Lewis famously made that very point in the Screwtape Letters. Many of you have read the Screwtape Letters. What a funny name for a book. The fictitious account of a senior level demon writing to his understudy, a junior level demon, because the junior level demon has been assigned to derail a Christian. The junior level demon is trying to get this Christian off track and this higher level demon, his uncle, is writing letters to him, giving him advice on how to do it. That's what the whole book is about. It's a series of letters from a senior level to a junior level demon. And at one point they hit an obstacle because the Christian is all of a sudden doing really well. He's developed this trait of humility. A really good thing for the Christian, but a really bad thing for the demons because they don't want to see the, this attribute of humility begin to develop. But Screwtape is wise. He's a seasoned pro. He's the older one. He's seen this before. He knows how to use this to their advantage. So he's writing to his understudy in the wonderful language of C.S. Lewis. So, your patient has become humble. Have you drawn his attention to that fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. So, catch him at the moment when he is really displaying humility and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection by Jove, I'm being humble. And almost immediately, pride, pride at his own humility will appear. That's the end of the C.S. Lewis quote. And there's no reason to keep elaborating on that point. We, we know that it's true. We've seen it probably in our lives. We know we don't want to take this posture in the area of sexual purity and use it as an occasion for boasting if God allows us to see growth. It's not the idea. God's purpose in sanctification is not to make us trophies for other people to marvel at. That's what happened to the Pharisees, isn't it? Thought they were so great because they were keeping all the commandments outwardly and it 
became an occasion for boasting and for pride. And what a horrible condition they found themselves in. And we don't want to commit the same error, okay? All right, enough said about that. Let's go on to the next one. We don't want to be a trophy Christian. Neither do we want to be a delusional Christian. We're talking about postures to be avoided on this subject, okay? We don't want to be a trophy Christian. We don't want to be a delusional Christian. And I think the best way to help you understand what I'm talking about is to give you an illustration. A few years ago, I was sitting across the table from a friend, and we were sharing with each other the pain that we were experiencing because of the sexual sin of a mutual friend. And my friend looked at me and said, Matt, I know that you would never do that. I know that you would never do that to your family. And I know that he meant well. And I know that he meant that to be an honoring thing and an affirming thing, but the posture that he was encouraging me to adopt is just not a posture that any of us should take. This posture of, wow, look at that sexual sin. That could never be me. I would never do that. That's what I'm calling the posture of a delusional Christian. This posture denies the reality and especially the strength of the opposition that we face, the spiritual opposition. That we face. And the reality of living in the flesh. In this fallen world. Even though we have been renewed inwardly. And have been made new on the inside. We still live in the flesh. Until the resurrection. This posture of the delusional Christian. Forgets that the person who sent for and took. Bathsheba was the star believer. The person who killed Bathsheba's husband was the person who'd had the most meaningful quiet times with God and who had displayed the greatest integrity, the great track record. It was the person who wouldn't even harm a hair on the head of Saul because he wanted to honor God so much. That was the person who committed the notorious sin. And we're just saying that our spiritual credentials are not better than David's. They're worse. And if he could do those things, so could we. Absolutely we could. It doesn't help us to be delusional over our own strength and our own credentials. That doesn't help us. It helps us to remember that we have a strong enemy, but a stronger God, and to place our hope and our trust in him and walk daily by the Holy Spirit. The delusional Christian says, 
that could never be me. And we're calling that a posture to be avoided. Now, there's a kind of opposite posture to that, and this will be the third and and final one to be avoided that we talk about. There's a kind of opposite posture. And we could call it the fatalistic Christian. Fatalistic. We don't want to be the fatalistic Christian. If the delusional Christian says, that could never be me, the fatalistic Christian is the one who says, this will always be me. I'll never make any progress in this area of sexual purity. It's just not going to happen. You may enter into this conversation in this summer teaching time. You may enter into this time in Psalm 119 very, very skeptical that anything could ever change for you because you've tried. It just hasn't worked. You haven't seen any progress, and you've seen, maybe you've seen regression. And you've just gotten to the point where you think, Nothing's ever going to change. I guess this is who I am, and I'm, I'm stuck like this. You're very doubtful. And we talked a moment ago about how when we're the delusional Christian, we deny the real strength of the opposition that we face in Satan. When we talk about being a fatalistic Christian, we're talking about another kind of denial a kind of opposite denial where we deny the real power of the Holy Spirit. We don't want to have an unrealistic view of the opposition or of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we don't want to deny that the Holy Spirit is present in us to sanctify, to make holy, and that that happens progressively over time. That the Holy Spirit really does work to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, just like it's wrong to assume that we could never commit sexual sin, it's also wrong to throw in the towel and think that we always will. And will to the same degree. I wish I could cite for you the exact article. I can't tell you who the author is. I can't find the article anymore. I read it a few years ago, but the author was exploring, exploring the dynamics of accountability groups. Maybe you've been part of an accountability group before. The author was just talking about some things that can happen in accountability groups when people get together, especially to keep each other accountable in the area of sexual sin. And they were just making this point that some accountability groups can start to take on this unhealthy culture where the success of the group is just in sharing the struggle together. And the tone of the group can become, hey, we're all sinning in the same way. I see here that this is pretty normal. This falls within the normal realm of Christian experience. We're all experiencing the same things. It's all hard for us. And so it's, we're all kind of good. And that any idea of progress is headed off by this feeling of we're all sharing the same struggle. And it's probably not a good idea to 
pile layers of illustrations on top of each other, but I'm going to try it anyway, see if I can make the point a little bit finer. I have a friend who did his first triathlon a couple years ago. And you know, the swimming part comes first. I don't feel bad about sharing this illustration because I would never make it through the swimming part. He made it through the swimming part. But the swimming part comes first, and he's in Waco, Texas, and he's swimming in the Brazos River. And it's rough going out there. In fact, it was so rough going, and he was so fearful for not making it through the water that pretty quickly he switched from the freestyle to the backstroke. And it didn't take long before he felt a tap on his shoulder. And the course monitor, who was in a kayak, was tapping him on the shoulder with his paddle and called out to him, Sir, you're swimming in a circle. What a defeating thing to hear that would be. But that's what can happen. That's, that's what we're saying. That's what can happen in accountability groups. They're meeting and meeting and meeting, but it can become a, a swimming in a circle without any real progress or growth. And all we're doing here is just reminding ourselves that growth and maturity is the plan. That's all we're saying. Growth and maturity is the plan. We're not saying there's a timetable. We're not saying everyone has to be on the same timetable. We're not saying the struggle isn't real. We're saying maturity and growth is the plan. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter and Paul and the writer to the Hebrews all say the same thing. They all point us in the same direction. That's the plan. We don't want to be on one hand the delusional Christian that says that could never be me. We don't want to be the fatalistic Christian that says this will always be me. Scripture doesn't leave those options open to us. Neither should we be the trophy Christian who says, look at me. Okay? Postures to be avoided. Let's move on to what the text says that we should do. The two postures that we should adopt. If we don't want to do that, well, what should we do? How should we think of ourselves as we enter in? Two are given to us here. At least two. pretty obvious that whoever wrote Psalm 119 has taken two specific postures. We can identify places in the text where we can know how the author thinks about themselves. How does this person conceive of themselves as they try to answer this question, how does a young man keep his way pure? And our aim is to adopt these same postures in relation to sexual purity. First one's in verse 9, okay? Second half of verse 9. We see there that this author, this writer, has taken the posture of a guard. He's taken the posture of a guard. That's what we find in the second half of verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The author conceives of themselves as a guard. 
That's the first posture commended to us, that of a guard. A guard implies the presence of something valuable that's to be protected. That's what a guard does. They protect something valuable. And we know that that's true when you're talking about sexual purity. There are all kinds of valuable things to be guarded. Guarding our family from the destructive influence of sexual sin. You know that we're also guarding our church from the destructive influence of sexual sin. Churches are so vulnerable to that influence. Did you remember that you're also guarding your friendships? Friendships maybe with people that aren't in this room. Probably this has happened to you or you know people that it's happened to. People lose friends over these things. Wonderful and enjoyable and long-standing friendships are derailed and ruined forever because of sexual sin. Regarding our family, regarding our church, regarding our friendships, and don't overlook this. Don't, don't overlook this most fundamental thing that when we guard ourselves in this area, we're first of all guarding our own soul. It's not just all those other people that will potentially be damaged because of our bad choices, we're first of all guarding our own soul. Your soul will will wither when you allow impurity to reside there. Sexual impurity will crowd out the worship of God in your heart. This isn't the only passage of Scripture that commends to us the posture of guard. Think about what Paul writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1. By the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. God's given him something valuable. Paul's talking about the gospel message. Guard it, he writes. wants him to take up the posture of a guard. God commands us to guard things that we can't see. Things like the gospel and things like our soul. What a stewardship. What a responsibility. Think about how precious those things are. Is there anything more precious than the gospel? Is there anything more precious than a human soul? And God commits the guarding of those things to us. How are you doing, Christian, with your guarding? As you think about this topic, as you replay these things in your mind through the week, and you think about what we're studying as a church, remember that as you're thinking about your own life and thinking about this subject, just remember, okay, as we go, I'm guarding. There's a a guarding to be done here. It's not all about me and how I'm doing today. I'm guarding lots and lots of precious things. That's how I'm viewing myself, viewing myself as a guard. That's one posture that's commended to us. There's one more. It's really easy to spot. It's the last thing that we'll do. It's in verse 12. 
we see that this person has taken up the posture of a student. Second half of verse 12. Not only a guard, but also a student. Verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord. We'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about that first part of verse 12 next week. Blessed are you, O Lord. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. This person conceives of themselves as a student of God's. Teach me. That's what a student says. Teach me. Let's draw out two points of application about what it means to take the posture of a student in this area, and then we'll be finished, okay? Two points on what it means to be a student in this area of sexual purity, and then we'll be done. First of all, recognize that the posture of student is permanent. The posture of student is permanent. You may have had a great week in this area. Some of you in this room, some of you watching online, maybe you were with us last week, maybe you weren't, but you, some here, by God's grace, are feeling good because God has allowed you to see progress. Maybe you've had your, maybe you've had your best week in a long time. Maybe you're seeing a, a greater level of discipline. Maybe you're starting to see some of your desires and your taste change because of your time in the word, because you're committing this to memory, maybe you're seeing really great things happen. That's wonderful. We praise the Holy Spirit for that work in your life. We know the Holy Spirit is active if that's happening. We're very, very thankful. Now, here's the question. How will you now conceive of yourself? Will you think of yourself as a graduate? Are you starting to think, hey, I've got this mastered now. I've figured it out. I've graduated from that, and I'm ready to move on to something else. Or will you maintain the posture of a student? A student before God. The person that wrote this psalm is maintaining the posture of a student Look, they were writing part of Scripture, but they still wanted God to teach them more. They already knew his statutes. Obviously, they knew his statutes already. They knew that purity was desired by God. They knew the right things to do. And yet, they're also saying, teach me your statutes. And that's the posture that we want to take as well. Those who know these things and are progressing in these things, but remain students of these things. Look, folks, when we, we make no pretense here. When we finish our time in Psalm 119, we will not imagine that we have exhausted the subject. We have only started. We're only making a small start. And... I just want to encourage you this morning, as you wake up, Christian, maybe you wake up or maybe you get to Tuesday, maybe you get to Wednesday this week and you can see progress, give thanks to God and just say, as you're giving thanks, please keep teaching me. It's your teaching that's brought me to this point. Now, lest I regress, teach on, Lord. I remain at your feet, eager to learn. 
eager to grow in understanding of the, the depths of these things. Eager to learn more about all the benefits of purity and how it allows me to see you more clearly and give myself to you more fully. I'm still your student. That's the first application. Here's here's the second. So first, we want to recognize that the posture of student is permanent. We're never graduating out of this. The second thing that we want to recognize is that the posture of, of student is difficult. It's very, very difficult. Expect it to be hard, potentially really hard. Maybe the hardest thing that you will ever do. When we take the posture of student in the area of sexual purity, we're willing to say to God, Teach me what is right and what is wrong, what is pure and what is impure as related to my sexuality. Teach me your statutes on these things. Because you know the great temptation is to decide in advance, based on our own desires, what will be okay for us and what will not be okay. And then to go to God looking for him to justify what we want to do. And that is the exact opposite approach that's commended to us here. We have need to be instructed by God in what is right and what is wrong. We have to go to him as students recognizing our own sinful heart, our own tendency toward evil and toward rebellion. We have to go to him skeptical of our own heart and recognizing that just because we have a desire does not mean that the fulfillment of that desire is pleasing to God. We have to be instructed in what's pleasing to God. His statutes must mean more than our desires. Consider that for a moment. His statutes must mean more than our desires. And consider, can you say that today? that his statutes mean more to you than your desires. This is one of the strands of keeping our way pure, taking certain postures before God. And it really begins with this critical posture of a student. Are you able to take that posture in the matter of your sexuality? to submit it all to him and just say, teach me. 
And as a church, our role with each other is to walk alongside each other in love and compassion and in all of our brokenness and just say to God together, we have lots of broken desires. We have lots of evil desires, but our eyes are on you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach us your statutes. And believing that even if our desires are contrary to your statutes, we believe that you are good and that your word is true and that in obedience to your word, there is life. Even in really, really hard, costly obedience. The life of Jesus was a life marked by very, very costly obedience. And that's the life that we've been given. And that's what we remembered in communion this morning, that we've been given the life of Christ so that we might have a chance. Now it's possible to live out that life because of Jesus. So we take the posture of a guard and we take the posture of a student. And that's the first strand of our answer is just very simply our posture as we enter in. We're going to talk about our affections next week. We're going to talk about the things that we love. That's part of the answer as well, is thinking about the things that we love and what our affections are. And I'm really looking forward to that. I hope that you can join us. But until then, brothers and sisters, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, in these moments we take stock. We just pause before we rush on into all of what this day holds for the rest of the day. I just pause with my brothers and sisters uh, for a moment before your word, having received the word, to just ask um, in my heart and they in their hearts, have we become guards? Have we become students? Let us enter in in these humble postures before you. And by your grace, may you give us the joy that comes from growth and maturity in Christ. For it's in his holy name that we pray. Amen.